He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. We don't go onto the floor and see what's happening. We're not connected because we've lost sight of the fact that actually what we're not, what we're trying to do is serve the people who are serving people. So if you're a manager or an owner, um, and I'm talking with clients about this even right now in shifting how, like when they delegate to a manager, like your new job now, instead of working in the business and making coffee, your coffee, like the thing you're making, your latte art or whatever, is the the staff experience. Yeah, you're you're crafting that for them. That's your product. Those are your guests, are your staff. It's the whole Danny Myers, uh, you know, philosophy on this through setting the table is like they're focusing on taking care of their um, their staff primarily as a uh, priority and then your your customers will be taken care of but instead what we want to do is collect data because data doesn't want to have a conversation you know it's not awkward and then we we drop these packages and to try to employ solutions and it just falls flat and we're we're just like oh we just need a better research team we need to hire a better consultant to come in there and you know give us better data when it's really just people that we need to focus on You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. What's up all my Slick Talkers? This episode is brought to you by my friends at Hostfully. Now these are the days where enough is enough with managing multiple calendars for your properties in order just to make sure you don't get double booked. And not having a website for your guests to get to know your story and book direct? You can stop stressing, at least a little bit, and check out my friends at Hostfully. Hostfully was created by hosts for hosts, and they understand the importance of centralizing operations, inboxes, calendars, and of course, keeping up with the times and the industry data. You can go to hostfully.com, use my code SLICKTALK20 to get access to their digital guidebooks and their property management software. I use them as well, and I love the simplicity of their product. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now sit back and enjoy. everybody welcome back to another episode of slick talk the hospitality podcast and i am here to interview chris who is the founder of keys to the shop which is also not just a business it's a great podcast that you should also check out but chris welcome to the show my friend how are you doing i'm doing great uh thanks very much for having me this is exciting awesome well uh i love that we got to connect over podcasting mm-hmm. um outside of your podcast can you just introduce your background and how you got started into 
hospitality and cafes and coffee and all the stuff that we're going to jump into today. All right. Yeah. I like that. Just, can you just do that? Like it's, it's really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> try to keep it short. Um, but yeah, my background is in specialty coffee in particular coffee, retail coffee shops. It's been that way for 22 years now. Um, I got my start working as a barista, like anybody. Uh, originally I just loved coffee. I liked going to coffee shops and, um, I would journal there, I would read, and this was back in like 1998, 99, and I eventually decided that I was just going to work in coffee, and it, it doesn't sound like uh, an epiphany, but it really was for me, I, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and so one day I was just sitting there, and I had this thought, why don't I do this, and that's exactly what I did, and I, I've never looked back. Um, got fired from my first coffee job, which was great. Uh, I, I, I would have fired myself if I was the manager too. Not because I was uh, a bad worker. I was just, you know, new, passionate, and kind of useless. So I guess I was a bad worker. <laughs> Learned a lot of good lessons though. Um, along the way, just got introduced to specialty coffee as a, a difference between that and other forms of of, you know, espresso drinks and coffee drinks, um, specialty coffee, just, I got the bug for it, went down the competition rabbit hole, got lots of other coffee jobs and quickly became a trainer, manager and operations management, did speaking competitions. And that just started to carve my career. I, I spent all these time, all this time behind the bar and working with the day in, day out operations uh, of lots of cafes while you know, being in the coffee industry as I, I hate the word influencer. Um, wow. but in the time of third wave coffee, when it started coming around, there was a group of us that, you know, we all knew each other and we were all kind of like inventing things and whatnot. So it was a really heady time and it was a good time. And now, you know, I'm old 22 years in the business and I've got this podcast that I've been doing for five years in a consulting company called Keys to the Shop. And that's been keeping me very busy. And it's like a new entering into coffee again, almost, because you get to explore even deeper depths of an industry that you may have thought you knew. But, you know, I, I think you probably could attest to that also yeah. as a, a podcast host yourself. Yeah, well, you know, this is a exciting episode for me because like you, I love coffee. I'm I'm not a big fan of Starbucks, so I like the off-brand uh independent roasters and coffee uh coffee shops throughout um any destination I'm in. Uh and so this like getting to dive into the world of coffee with you is really unique just be on a selfish level. Um but I think like it's such a whole different world and yeah like you said i think when you get into the podcasting side and you get into you know talking with experts around the world it it becomes like i don't know just in such a deeper depth that you could ever imagine um so for you i guess what was some new things creating keys to the shop that you just never expected to learn um outside of your you know your 22 years that you've already known um i don't know that it was new facts about coffee um, or, or, you know, there's inventions that come about in, you know, technology and things, but their iterations on previous technologies or discoveries about coffee that happen, I would have found out about them had I not been doing the podcast. But what I found out about 
uh, coffee businesses in particular, because my show focuses on coffee retailers and people who work in coffee shops, managers, trainers, basically anybody who's wanting to you know, carve out a career in that retail space. It's a it's an illusion that only the people that have a platform uh, already, the people who've won competitions, who have uh, large um, large chains of stores and a lot of money to throw around and, and reputation, have the corner on the market of insight that could change the world and change people's lives. And it's not necessarily that I didn't believe that before, but it's easy to just stay with the low hanging fruit, yeah. if you will. It, which is, you know, for other areas of business, you might say, well, I want to know what Elon Musk thinks. And I want to know what, you know, whoever this visionary yeah. um, megalomaniacal person <laughs> thinks but then there's people who run, they might not be making, you know, Teslas, but they might run a garage down the street from you. And their insights about life mechanics and the way to organize your, your time and, and function as a human at work and, and at life would blow you away. And so I think that curiosity that's necessary to be a, a good host has just really opened up, hopefully to my audience too, that genius and and good information that will help you do better is not as far away as you think. You just have to ask questions, be open to listen. I love that. I love that. As a podcast host, that's like perfect way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. Ask good questions, be willing to listen. So I guess let's dive into the world of coffee. Like, yeah, I'm I'm a hotel, uh, original hotel person by trade became vacation rental podcast person by night afterwards um so kind of introduce us to the world of coffee what is so special about roasteries or coffee shops and all these things because i feel like they are a big part of hospitality we we all know that you know restaurants food and beverage um food in, in in general is a great way for not only culture to be exposed, but for experiences to be made, memories, it's a great way for anyone and everyone to come together, right? So mm-hmm. what does coffee do in this in this big industry that we call hospitality? <laughs> um, you know, the, I, I'd say the phrase, you know, lubricate the wheels of social exchange is, is one of the things that, you know, bars could play, claim to that as well. Coffee has the reverse effect on you, of course. But um, coffee's function in hospitality is is beyond the industry. It's it's just you know hospitality industry. Let's back up and talk about the fact that it's an industry. It's an industry based around a human need for connection over something that is a necessity, and that's food or shelter. So restaurants, hotels, um, coffee bars are part of that. They are an extra sh- show of hospitality. Coffee is not a necessity, like eating is a necessity, but it's a type of consumable product that communicates your care for somebody. Uh, Being that Ethiopia is the birthplace of coffee um, and the Ethiopian coffee ceremonies and the hospitality shown by the Ethiopian people still to this day includes having coffee for their guests. That's always been part of coffee's story. And so it's always been shared. It's always been prepared for guests. And the first coffee house 
technically, I guess, is the coffee that was first served to guests in a house, you know, and now we've got a business around that yeah. for our communities. We drink it at home and we can't get enough of it. So we go to coffee shops and drink it. And today we have such great technology for home brewing. We could reasonably, I'd say, make just as good coffee at home if we wanted to, as you could in a coffee bar which for some people is a threat, but I don't, I don't think so. Because again, it's around, it, it's community. Um, we saw this um, a little all over the place here, but this this idea of coffee being a platform that serves something else um, was seen in the COVID uh, crisis when it first happened, when it first you know was introduced to us. Yeah. Um, the biggest brands in coffee shuttered so many stores and the cries from people, you know, were not around the corporate entities that had to close their downtown locations and their train depot locations. Maybe it was mildly annoying, but when the specialty independent store closed, when the, when the small restaurant or the street vendor closed, that's when people started to get really upset and started to support because it's not just that it's a business, it's actually a part of who we are. Mm-hmm. So coffee shares in that along with spirits, beer, wine, food, uh, whatever you wanna put in there. And it's my job as a specialist in the area to make sure that we deliver all an exceptional experience every single time in all of the facets that make up a good coffee shop experience, the people, the operations, and the quality of the drink. 100%. And I, I definitely remember March 2020, um, my favorite drive through coffee shop, local owner, mm-hmm. local roastery, local everything, one of my favorite coffees. I remember those few days, weeks, maybe even a month I went by where I was like, why can't I drive through and get my coffee, man? Like it was, it was really sad. And like you saw the line of Starbucks going, going, you know, miles down the road, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, doing the whole transfer of the cup with the, the mug and, you know, all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was yeah. just wild. But I think, yeah, like you said, it did bring out, like, I think it brought out a lot of the community and, in, in, you know, I saw in Facebook posts and Facebook groups inside that town where that coffee shop was, was hosted. It was like, when is X, Y, and Z shop going to open up? When are they going to come back? When are we going to be able to, to grab our coffee through the drive through? It, it was a, actually one of the bigger topics I saw in a local community. Uh, mm-hmm. was the coffee the, the drive through um so with that being said it just it doesn't like i don't know you don't think about it on your day to day right unless you're in it right like you're you're in coffee coffee is your life um so so to speak obviously you got you know other things like <laughs> you know. um yes. but it's like you know pot or coffee is your life and and so for us like when you just don't realize when a, something's kind of taken away something's missing from your life, your lifestyle, your day to day, it's really gone. And so for you and kind of what you saw, what was the biggest, I guess, what was the biggest shift that was made within coffee, whether it's drive through, whether it's coffee shops, what are, what kind of happened in order for, you know, industry coffee roasteries or anything like that to kind of pivot into this COVID world that we're in now. Um, granted, I think for the most part, we're coming back. I just had, you know, worked in a coffee shop this weekend uh no masks no nothing it was just mm-hmm. normal life was kind of way the way it should Getting be there. yeah yeah so i guess maybe what, what happened in the beginning 
of COVID? Um, sheer desperation um, and pain. I mean, the initially people that were doing great closed because there's no business. We had no runway financially, just like a lot of you know, restaurants have no financial runway. If you took away income for a week from them, done. Um, no contingency plans for crisis. Almost no restaurant or coffee bar or whatever um, has that type of thing. Now, larger entities might because they're plugged into more corporate, uh, you know, forms of like protecting the asset. Yeah. Um, we're a little bit more organic and that bit us in the butt a, a big time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing that you saw happen was, you know, the, the per- term that's overused pivot, like oh, people pivoting to different things. Coffee bars started serving groceries. They started stocking groceries and serving groceries out of their coffee bars. They have a big space. People have a need. Coffee bar is going to meet the need no matter what they have to do. One, to stay open. Yeah. Two, in the most conscientious of of people, um, uh, operators are thinking not only of their own survival, but also how at the same time they can consistently live their values while doing something outside the box of what they don't normally do. People who did serve groceries like flour and eggs and butter and stuff, because they're set up with vendors uh, to do so, they don't do it anymore. Some people kind of continued it and thought this is fun to do, but it was an emergency measure. It, it, and what that did, along with things like serving half gallons of iced lattes, I don't know if you saw that where you are like cold brew, um, bottled beverages and convenience items were just like, all of a sudden we shed our pretense about mm. who we were. The, the strict nature of what we would do and what we would serve gave way to survival and service. So those two words, survival and service. And um, so I think that's the big change going forward is that coffee bars have embraced more so now convenience things like mobile ordering or ready to drink. It was already on the rise. And I think there was a lot of resistance to it, but it forced us to see that it could be part of a product mix that offered hospitality to people without robbing people of the experience. Um, Not everybody is still on that train. But was it I think resistance? it's, yeah. Sorry, was it resistance on the consumer side or on the coffee shop side where they were just, did it, they didn't want to adapt to mobile ordering and other things? Because I, I think, yeah. you know, a friend of mine, Josh Copel, and I don't know if you know who he is, but he's also got a podcast with Yelp and all this other stuff. But they talk about the back end of restaurants, right? Like they're looting, mm-hmm. losing 30 to 40% um, in revenue when they, you know, Uber Eats and all these Grub Hubs and DoorDashes and, and all these other types of services. So, yeah. you know, was it resistance on that side or just where was the resistance coming from? I think as an industry, especially coffee retail tends to be a little bit rebellious mm. and wants to be a little bit more hands-on. So we have lots of, you know, articles inside the coffee industry talking about the robots coming for our jobs and stuff like that. Um, and when we sell bottled beverages and things like that, you do, we, we were, I think, too close like we can feel the heat on the other side of the door of what we assume is a house fire uh you know for coming for our coffee house and and so we try to keep away from that Mm -hmm. and what we discovered is that you know it it just depends on how you promote it and what you do because you're already serving a convenience beverage in a package it's just you're making it every single time and 
you're already you're serving coffee beans. You know, people come and get coffee. Um, they get it ground and they're brewing it at home. And so th- that's what I mean by pretense. I think there has to be a healthy investigation as to whether or not something you're going to do in your shop is lining up with your shop values. Yeah. Um, and and for those reasons, I say continue to be consistent. That's fine. But to not go through the thought exercise of determining whether something as big as this right now in our industry is right for your shop, I think may just be selling yourself a little bit short. Um, so the other thing though, was I think we determined um, that we really have to treat our people better. And that that's not you know always gonna be the uh, conclusion that every boss makes, but staff really, showed up. And I mean, literally like the essential workers thing for coffee bars where they're still serving. I was working as a barista part-time through the pandemic myself. And, um, it was in a, not something that we signed up for necessarily, but we work for our community as much as we work for the coffee shop. And when bosses see, you know, just that, these people actually make their businesses run. It's easy to get blind to your staff. You know, they're just there until they're not. And then you're annoyed that they're not. Uh, we talk about this on the show all the time. They become part of the furniture. And so I think this shook people and said to them, look, you really do rely on your staff to run this place. And it would behoove you in the future to create a position that pays better, that's managed better, that it has systems for, for care and development built in. Mm-hmm. Because even right now, the staffing crisis for uh, restaurants and coffee bars is largely because a lot of staff have realized, I guess we don't have to put up with it, you know? Yeah. And owners are like, well, what do we do? And here we are, we're having to innovate, pivot again to figure out what it looks like going forward. Hundred percent. I think, like on the consumer side too, not just the employer, the boss level, but the consumers need to be a little bit more forgiving with service industry uh, employees. I think, um, you know, it was not easy to dine out, to go through takeout, to get a delivery service such as Uber or Grubhub. Like, at the end of the day, these people just kind of get looked at as, you know excuse my, my language is as shit on the sidewalk, right? Like, it's just like, sometimes people just don't really look at the human aspect of service in the sense of coffee, yeah. restaurants, delivery. Um, and so, yeah, I think it needs like, there's definitely an education or maybe even like a, a industry standard that we need to put into play. Cause I, I remember being front desk and granted, yeah, front desk people usually get treated a little bit better at a hotel, but <laughs> still, you have that one pissed off guest. Um, because something wasn't right in the room outside of my control. I'm not the housekeeper. I didn't clean it. I didn't call out sick. I wasn't that person that, you know, whatever the the situation may be, but you know, like people just coming down and they curse at the staff and they get all hot in the face and treat, you know, treat employees and inside a business like crap. It's, you know, it's really belittling, especially when you're providing service, like no one told, you know, you just stay at this hotel. You just happen to book this hotel or whatever it may be. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's very like, there's a two-sided sword, right. You know, when it comes yeah. to the business and then the consumer, but 
I, I like where you're going there. I, I think um, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's easy to build our businesses and our systems around trying to mitigate pissing people off mm -hmm. and then not take into consideration that some people are on a mission to be pissed off yes. about something, you know, call them what you will, but they're, they're out there. And as much as it's our dis, you know, bent to be hospitable, to build systems and, and connect our values to our daily work and all that fun stuff that we talk about. At the end of the day, we have to build in boundaries too, as a form of care for our staff yes. so that they understand what they do and do not have to put up with. And I, I feel bad for feeling so good about times when you have to pull out the boundaries yeah. and say, you can't do that here. You can't speak to me that way. Please leave. Yes. And I feel bad about that in a sense. Like I feel bad about feeling so good. Like, get them, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> because I think there's this tension that's welled up in the service community towards the customer, you know, quote unquote, the customer. Yeah. It's bit, it's built on, these incidents, it's built on gossip, but you know what it's also built on? It's also built on the fact that management and leadership never addresses it sufficiently. 100%. And so they only have each other to talk to about it. And they build these caricatures of the customer. They build this, uh, you know, pressure and then boom, it comes out. What 100%. do we think is going to happen? It's so unrealistic to think that you're going to be a perfect, oh, of course, like, yeah, you can go ahead and yell at me type attitude the whole time yeah. and you know i think if we apply you know some personal levels to it right like you're not going to let a friend a family member or even a stranger in at a party or at an event or maybe let's say a holiday to talk to you in a certain manner or tone let alone why would you let a complete stranger who's literally coming out of their way to you know granted yes they're coming out of their way to choose to purchase a, a good or an item or or whatever from you mm -hmm. but then the day like if they're going out of their way to do that, they should probably do it with a little bit of a better attitude and understanding. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm personally like the person who, cause I remember front desk days, like again, completely different from coffee, but still having a, a bad, an angry guest or a guest that was just out to, to, you know, kill the world. And in, in the sense of everything was imperfect, you're always wrong. I'm, I'm, you know, mistreated, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know. You just can't allow that to continue to go on because it just shows passiveness and sense of, of, you know, like you said, the, the company values that we live, they're on the wall behind the scenes in our office, yet we're not really living them when it comes to the aggression of, of a customer. Right. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's unrealistic for hospitality because I'm all about guest service and, and, and moments and memories and experiences, but there is a line, there is a boundary, like you said. And I, I think, you know, coming to that point as we continue to expand in our industry with, you know, more technology more creative concepts, more, you know, learnings from the guests and the customers and what they want out of our business and, and the industry as a whole, there's, there's gotta be that boundary line there. So, you know what you, your, your point right there about more, you know, what the guests want and, and as we get, get more data, one of the things that I think holds us back is that we go to the well-worn um, paths of solutions that so far haven't been as effective as we wanted them to. So we take all this time and money 
to go out and do a survey of our customers. How was your stay at the Marriott Bonvoy and all this? I still, I try to unsubscribe and I can't, um, but it's information that they're going to use to tweak something like how many different coffee pods I get in my hotel room. Mm-hmm. But really um, I, I think it's mindset that needs to shift and it's not, a mystery. A lot of times what happens, speaking from somebody who's made plenty of mistakes in leadership, we can get buried in the computer and try to run things from the numbers. And we don't, we don't go onto the floor and see what's happening. We're not connected because we've lost sight of the fact that actually what we're not, what we're trying to do is serve the people who are serving people. So if you're a manager or an owner Um, And I'm talking with clients about this even right now and shifting how, like when they delegate to a manager, like your new job now, instead of working in the business and making coffee, your coffee, like the thing you're making, your latte art or whatever, is the the staff experience. Yeah. You're, You're crafting that for them. That's your product. Those are your guests are your staff. It's the whole Danny Myers, uh, you know, philosophy on this through setting the table is like they're focusing on taking care of their um, their staff primarily as a uh, priority. And then your your customers will be taken care of. But instead, what we want to do is collect data because data doesn't want to have a conversation. You know, it's not awkward. Yeah. And then we we drop these packages and to try to employ solutions and it just falls flat. And we're, we're just like, oh, we just need a better research team. We need to hire a better consultant to come in there and, you know, give us better data when it's really just people that we need to focus on. 100%. And one thing like we've been talking about a lot, like behind the scenes inside of our company and with others around the world is like, you know, hospitality what's the number one thing you're probably taught in the beginning of your career is anticipation of the guest needs well what does that mean how do you anticipate the guest needs well they're telling you what they need right then and there yes like you said it can be awkward it can be um maybe a little confrontational where you're just a little uncomfortable with them being super honest about what's going on with your business but at the end of the day the best way to anticipate their needs is by allowing that to happen at a natural level and to really be a consumer of what's being said in your property mm. or in the cafe and all this other stuff. But like you said, then we, we turn to the numbers. So we try to be a data driven company. We try to be data reliance in the sense of the numbers will speak for our customers. Numbers are a transaction. Your customers are really the voice of what's happening inside your business. So yeah, it's, it's very, I don't know. It's back to the basics, right? Like, I, I feel like yeah. sometimes I'm so caught up in all this other stuff that we just got to go back and re- remember that anticipation of needs and what that kind of re- you know means. Yeah, I love numbers. I mean, it's great. You you have to. There's metrics that you have to pay attention to. It's the EKG of your business. It's the vital signs of of what you're doing. That's a way of caring for people too. No one wants to get fired because the business went under, 100%. right? Um, that we just talked about that that happened in COVID for a lot of people. So yeah, data is great, but systems and data and all of these things are servants of people. It's not the reverse. We're not just, you know, they, they shouldn't crack the whip for the people. They should serve the people. So when you develop anything from a, um, you know, financial forecast and, and systems around that and what you want any everyone from your housekeepers to your um, head chef, 
or your, your baristas and your manager to do. It has to be in service to the values. And if you can't connect it to those things and you haven't even, you don't even know what it's like to work within the systems that you make people work in, mm-hmm. then it's, it's going to get lost in translation. You're not going to get buy-in and we're going to blame everyone but ourselves, you know? And, yeah. and that is, as someone who comes into businesses a lot, uh, coffee shops, and and looks at some of the things that, some problems that need to be solved um, and refinements, a lot of them are things that people already know are problems. But they're sort of spinning their wheels in the same paths, not knowing what to decide. And sometimes I'll come in there and be like, either, you know, we need to get rid of this. We need to shift this way. You need like giving it, I'm going to give you a deadline to make this done, get done. Um, And it's stuff that they knew, but we're just frozen. We don't know what to do because we've been trained to sort of blame shift and not take action and theorize, consume books about leadership and management. Like I have tons of them in my office, right? Mm -hmm. Paying attention to your business and the people around you is better than any book. I love that. I love that. Well, not to shift topics so quickly, but uh, <laughs> I'm kind of curious because I'm a technology fan. A lot of the audience knows I, I'm a big, you know, we talk a lot about technology. We interview a lot of CEOs and founders in the technology space. Um, what kind of technology is in coffee? Like, can you, is there anything that you get really excited about when it comes to coffee tech, if, if that's even such a thing? Yeah. Um, but I, I've, I see, you know, I'm very much aging myself. Uh, you know, on TikTok, I'm scrolling scrolling the endless scroll at night and uh yeah i see these beautiful coffee videos people are making these amazing mm-hmm. drip coffees or and, and pour overs and uh latte arts and all this other stuff but you know at, at the beginning like at a first glance i have no idea what they have yeah. what it does how do how they make it all work and make it look so beautiful but uh for you maybe just in in the sense of coffee tech or coffee machinery um what's some really yeah. cool things that you're excited about right now well, I, I think one, I'm excited that there's lots of options for both material, like tools and how-to videos, which, you know, just real quickly, another thing that happened in COVID was a lot of people started turning to the internet to do online stores. And part of that was showing their customers how to make coffee at home um, where they hadn't before. And um, that's opened up a great opportunity to connect with people. Um, so the at-home brewing uh, revolution, if you will, has just gained a lot of steam, uh, no pun intended. But the point is that people are able to go online and learn from people like uh, Lance Hedrick or James Hoffman and people like that on YouTube who are pretty well known for breaking things down in, into a simple format to understand coffee. Uh, whereas before... you could make coffee at home in my day, you know, early 2000s, we were just really limited to Molita drip pour overs and tea kettles. We didn't really have even gooseneck kettles uh, to use that had the thin spout and temperature control was new back then. Um, So today you almost have to try not to buy a gooseneck kettle that doesn't have some kind of variable temperature control on it beyond a certain price point. Um, or drippers that will do the job. It's a little confusing because there's so many options, but that's why the resources are helpful to help break things down like that. Um, 
So I'm excited about the proliferation of these things. I'm a little bit irritated that everybody who introduces a new dripper claims that it's going to like unlock magic from your coffee simply because there's an extra ridge. I, I feel like that's a little snake oil right there. Um, but you know, we all, we all engage in a little bit of that every now and again. Like when somebody says that you're the best restaurant in your city, like the, voted by the people who read this paper, if yeah. you don't get selected, you're like, who cares? But uh, if you do, you're like, oh my gosh, what an honor. Hey, Emmanuel, what are you doing in this episode? Did I forget a meeting? Hey, Will. No, we don't have a meeting, but I love tuning into the recording, so I figured I'd hop in. Oh, awesome. Well, hey, since I got you here, do you mind sharing some stuff about Jetstream? Ever since our episode on Slick Talk, we get tons of questions about you and, of course, Jetstream. Of course. I'd love to share. Anything specific? Well, I keep getting asked, what's the difference between Jetstream and any other service or tech in the vacation rental industry? My simple answer is that Jetstream isn't just the tech you need, but it's the people too. Am I close? The short answer is yes. You see, maybe you're a short-term rental operator or a realtor or an investor. If you have an interest in short-term rentals and hospitality, you're looking for the most efficient way to either enter the industry or streamline your operations you've got two options. Option one, the hard one. You find a PMS, hire staff, learn the tools, figure out OTA distribution, train yourself, train your teams, price your product, deal with customers, and you do everything yourself. Option two, partner with Jetstream. Jetstream is a complete solution that maximizes your revenue in the short-term rental industry without increasing your fixed costs. Jetstream handles everything. So I don't need to sign up for vacation rental software or worry about distribution headaches. And what about branding? What if operators love their brand and name? Do they have to give that up in order to be powered by Jetstream? Absolutely not. Jetstream does all of this white labeled under your brand name. Everything. You focus on delivering on-site guest delight and growing your inventory. Jetstream handles the rest. And to make it even easier for your listeners and anyone else who stumbles across this podcast, anyone who mentions code SLICKTALK50 will receive 50% off the first three months. All right. Coming in big with the 50% off for our listeners. Well, hey, Emmanuel, I just want to say thank you so much for shedding some light on the power of Jetstream and being such a great industry partner. I do have to get back to this episode, though, but let's get together soon for another virtual happy hour. First round's on me. Sounds good, Will. See you soon. <laughs> yeah, it's for only one convenient. But the um, technology right now, I mean, they're a sponsor of my podcast, but I, I would be singing their praises no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, the folks over at Voga Coffee uh, produce um, something called a ground control brewer, which is something that introduced a multi-phase um, siphoning style process of doing batch coffee and also has the ability uh, to uh, create like cold brew concentrates to be made into batch cold brew and isolates and it makes tea. Um, it's got this cool dome on the top that the coffee uh, cycles in and it really is a cool um, innovation that has taken what's traditionally a batch brewer and um, introduce like the name says control of the grounds right like i tasted just minor variable t differences you know in the um recipe and you know inputted into the machine the coffee switched drastically 
Mm-hmm. And with a with your average batch brewer that you find in the back of a restaurant or in the front of a coffee bar, you're kind of limited. And so when we can unlock potential in a tangible way in coffee, I'm excited about that. Especially when it's accessible in terms of easy to train people on, easy to understand. Um, And I guess it's not technology so much because I wouldn't consider myself techie. Yeah. Um, But just look how many people subscription services are out there right now Mm -hmm. for coffee. What an amazing opportunity for somebody who lives in a town of, you know, 20,000 people and runs a roastery that might not be sustained by that number to ship their coffee to the coasts and across the oceans and sustain their business that way and and, uh, introduce people to a world of coffee. The platforms for introducing people through, you know, subscription services, platforms for home brews in different, you know, kettles and educational uh, platforms for those. And then in the shop, when people invent better technologies to increase our control over the experience of quality coffee, I'm always excited about that. That's awesome. And speaking of subscription boxes, a big shout out to Kameno Island Coffee Roaster, who is actually one that I get from. Uh, So I'm here in Denver or, or Denver. Oh my gosh, can't even speak. Denver, Colorado, and Camino Island Coffee Roaster is actually in Washington State, and uh, nice. great local roastery. And I used to have my my office right outside the roastery, so I'd always get coffee every day. And um, so when I moved, I was like, "Hey, I'm going to order their box and have it shipped out to my house every two weeks or so, mm-hmm. or whatever frequency is." And yeah, like you said, it's a it's a great way to stay connected. It, it makes you feel more more connected to the brand. It makes you feel more connected to the community that gets the coffee. Um, and they're completely like green. So like, it's uh, such a healthy version of, of roastery and, and beans. Um, now for, for you, I, I guess like you get to interview and talk to and have all these really deep in depth conversations. I got to listen to your podcast a little bit more before our episode today. And I'm really curious on the side of like just industry concepts. What's, you know, is there someone out there or a company or, something just changing within coffee outside of what you just kind of mentioned with tech uh, or even, you know, subscriptions and stuff like that. Like, is there some kind of concept or just a shift in the the paradigm of coffee that you're just getting really excited about? That's something you're kind of thinking on and, and developing within your clients or just talking more about on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big shifts is that people are starting to see, the sanitization of coffee bars and how with the advent of Instagram and things like that, mm-hmm. it's it's not exactly bad, but it's, a, it's mildly frustrating to go to another country within a distinctly different culture and see the exact same coffee bars you might see in Denver, like exactly just white tiles, succulents, yeah. you know, pine wood benches and everything looks exactly the same. It's basically the high end coffee version of being able to, you know, stop at a truck stop at a love station pretty much anywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. It, and so um, we see that and some people might argue that, well, that's a signaling, it's marketing to signal that that's a specialty experience. And yeah, okay, maybe, but I think what's happening right now is that because of the proliferation of these these sort of um, 
very similar concepts, people are starting to be, get hungry for something a little bit more real. Mm. The connection that we want to offer to our communities has turned you know, transactional. Mm. And just look at, for instance, Netflix. How many more um, episodes are there around street food and street, you know, food trucks and things like that than there are about Chef's Table? Now, that's really fun to watch. I love Chef's Table. I mean, the, it's amazing. Yeah. But then how many more episodes and, and shows are there out there around just humble and connected and culturally rooted? That's what's happening in coffee, too. People that want to express who they are, their lineage, their legacy, their heritage through coffee, whether it's from Vietnam, South America, um, Southeast Asia, all that stuff. People are less compelled now, I think, to you know plug and play and have the, the the you know in the box option and more compelled to say what is us what's our community and how can we meet the everyone there and and you know serve well and not just assume that you know specialty coffee equals these things and we're going to leave our um you know our history and who we are at the door and i th- i'm excited about that you know um, I got a client in um, Kansas City. Um, she was a client during the pandemic, and uh, it's Cafe 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 at the second cafe is C A F or C A P H E. So Vietnamese uh, iced coffee um, uh, trailer. Now it was going to be a brick and mortar, and she's actually going to be opening a brick and mortar soon. But it is all things Vietnam. It is colorful. It is friendly. It is casual. It is really amazing what she's done. And it was exciting to get to um, see her develop that. Um, and she's, but she's not the only one. Uh, yeah. Jackie Wen, the owner of that. There's people all over the country that are coming from different cultures that are saying, "How can we do this? And serve our community." And I, I think that's a shift in the industry. Hundred percent. I love that. I'm a big fan and big believer in that. You know, how can we tell our story? How can we connect with people that are just like us, like-minded, but so different in different ways, right? Where our stories are never going to be the same or perfect lined up, but you know, it's a like-minded community. It's a, it's a, yeah, I think just the way you phrased it was perfect. So I'm very excited to hear that's kind of the, the shift, right? In coffee, because you know, who doesn't love a good cup of Joe, right? Like who doesn't want to bond and connect <laughs> people over that? Um, my, I guess one of my last final questions for you before we wrap up would be, you know, if you had one person listening today who's just getting into coffee mm-hmm. they're like the first one to two maybe even three steps getting in uh, to the industry that you would kind of recommend just to outside of actually i'll plug in number one go listen to keys in the shop uh podcast obviously but what, what would be some other <laughs> you know, places for them to start and uh to kind of get embedded into the world of coffee okay so professionally you're you're saying yeah. Yeah. Like First if they step. want to get yeah. into either, you know, serving, brewing, roasting, all that stuff. So working in coffee obviously would be the first step. Um, you can't just jump into it being a manager. And a lot of people try to jump into it and they are moderately successful. A lot of people successful just starting out as owners. I always recommend to people call me for like, I want to open a coffee shop conversations, yeah. like try as hard as you can to work in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say right now for people in small towns, let's break it into two categories. There's people in Denver that have just, they, they can work at Little Owl. They can work at uh, other other coffee bars that you know, vibe downtown and, and places like that. Um, 
and there's lots of options. Um, Sweet Bloom, and and so smaller towns though don't have as many options. And so what do you do? Do you move? And that's an option. You can. I almost did. Um, but you can find a place to work and start to learn that's not the the Shangri La of, of of coffee necessarily, but will give you enough experience to start learning how to uh, move around the bar, how to serve people, how to work with other people. Um, these are very basic things. And most people who start in coffee are there just like, I want to learn all the science. I want to learn latte art. I want to whatever, you know, like, I, I don't know what it's like to onboard and train people in the, the bar world, but I imagine people are going to try to do some flair before they get smacked upside the head and say like, why don't you just try to pour consistently? (laughs) And so you have to focus yourself on learning the basics well. And then if you outgrow that space, maybe you should move to a place and and start learning what's available to you in in a greater world of coffee. But I actually just am gonna release an episode uh, later this afternoon called The Seven Deadly Sins of My Career. And I go over some, you know, mistakes that I've made that were pretty significant. And the last one is passive learning. So going into it, thinking that the business that I'm about to be an employee of is going to fill my needs and take care of all of my education. Hmm. Education and learning happens all around you. Being taught happens way less. So you go to a class, great. Somebody sits you down and says, do these things because I'm so wise. And and here you go. That happens sometimes. But learning and an opportunity to learn from your experiences happens all the time. So you definitely don't want to go through several jobs just being angsty and being like, this sucks, you know. Um, It may, but if if you have a sucky attitude about it, then it's going to suck even more. And you're going to miss out on a learning opportunity, be it a good place or a bad place. So that's the first thing. Um, Sorry, it's not like (laughs) a quick first thing. But the next step would simply be, to start to, you know, try to teach people humbly, and that will help you learn. As you you give of yourself and your information with the idea that I'm just learning too, but I can help you in this way, then that's going to help you solidify that information in your head. Um, And you might end up in a management position, you might end up in training. Um, You have to be careful, though, because a lot of owners will take somebody who has just a tiny bit of ambition and skill and try to force them into a position of authority and leadership before they're ready. And I think if you've developed yourself that first step enough, you might have the temerity to say not yet or, or no. And that's probably the best decision you can make um, is, is to wait until you're at least 75% ready <laughs> and then do it. Don't be guilted into taking a position that will just hurt other people, including yourself. So there's a couple of things that maybe just generally are good for anybody entering the workforce, um, coffee included. I love it. I love it. That's really good advice. And, you know, it makes me reflect on some of my early days, right? When I was just thrown to the wolves uh, at the front desk and then became management and all this other stuff. So it's really, it's really good. And, uh, really good advice. I, I'll have to admit. Um, and obviously, so I love to ask the final question to all of our guests on the show. Um, you know, the best place to connect if someone in the audience that's listening to the podcast or watching the live stream or doing anything like that, um, 
you know, where's the best place to send them your way? Obviously, again, I'm going to plug everything in the show notes. Make sure that your podcast is plugged in as well. Um, but where's the number one location you'd want them to go if they were curious to learn more and maybe connect with the outside of the podcast? It's either going to be keys to the shop.com or um, at keys to the shop on Instagram. I, I always respond to if you contact me, Chris at keys to the shop.com uh, over the website. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty responsive and on DMs on Instagram as well. And so be sure to follow us and subscribe and all that fun stuff. And uh, let's chat about coffee and, and what you're up to. Awesome. Well, Chris, I really want to say thank you for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a true honor. Um, and like I said, everyone who's listening right now, please, 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 please check out everything in the show notes, like, and subscribe to everything keys to the shop. So that way you get to fulfill your coffee needs, uh, in many forms outside of the drink itself. So I'm very excited for this episode and thank you again, Chris, for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you, Will. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast.